Welcome to the Are You Future Ready podcast. Are you curious about technology, innovation, and how you can stay ahead? Then you've come to the right place. In our series, we tap into the minds of people behind innovation. This podcast is brought to you by LR's Product Development and Innovation Center. Hi, I'm Linda Garib, your host of the Are You Future Ready podcast. Today, we'll talk about innovation, trends, and tips on what you can do to become future ready. With our guests, Alex Smith, Global AI Product Lead at iManage, who's joining us from London, England today, and Boss Kniphorst, VP and GM at Walters Kluwer, Legal and Regulatory, Belgium and the Netherlands, who's joining us today from Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Welcome to the podcast, Alex and Boss. Hi there. Great. So uh, before we get started, uh, I'd like each of you to please share a bit about yourself and uh, what you do. Okay. Um, my name is Alex Smith. Um, as, as you said, I'm the global AI lead here at iManage. I joined about two years ago um, into what was probably two years after the Raven acquisition by iManage of the kind of AI arm. Um, and before that, um, I spent 20 years in legal information um, and legal search, um, working first at LexisNexis for 17 years of my career from 1999 when we were dealing with books and CD-ROMs and, and things like that, um, all the way through to leaving in about 2016 when we were doing kind of AI search platforms on, on legal information. And then in between that, I spent two years as innovation manager or innovation hub manager at Reed Smith, which is an American global law firm trying to make it actually happen on the client side. So that that's the potted history from me. Great. And uh, I'm Boss Kniphorst. Uh, I'm, I've been with Walters Kluwer now for uh, 20 years. I'm now running the Netherlands and Belgian businesses for legal and regulatory. But a bit like Alex, I think I started my career very much on the traditional publishing side of the world. So I started off with uh, books, CD-ROMs, acquisition editors of authors, and have seen really how that's changed over time and how you know the, the role that we play has changed fundamentally since yeah, 20 years ago when I started uh, my career with Walters Kluwer. So it's been exciting to see just how much has changed in the last uh, in the last two decades. Well, thank you. We're glad to have you both on the show today. So in our last episode, we talked about AI technology and its importance while developing products that make an impact. Today, I'd like to start our discussion around a topic that is close to both of you, AI-powered legal research service. Uh, what, in your opinion, um, you know, is the next generation of search? Um, I'll, I'll start that one. Um, so what's interesting, I, I find search, a, I think a, a colleague of mine calls it a wicked problem. Uh, I don't think the wicked problem's ever kind of really gone away. Um, and it's very much kind of like, how do you find answers in large corpuses of information? And I think we've always tried to do that potentially from a retrieval level where you know looking at a number of search results and being able to you know play around with your search results and look at all these different options but ultimately i think that over the last say 10 years especially in the commercial world if you look at google and you look at the approach of you know spotify or, or netflix in, in your personal life is there's a lot more aimed at how things are delivered to you at kind of point of need 
and the ability to answer a question without much choice, without many choices, or or the ability to expand wider, and and that's very much kind of that personal view of search is now kind of coming into how people what people's expectations are of, of products, and so you know I think there is still a balance, and we'll probably talk discuss more about you know kind of veracity of results and how many different options you have and how you make it authoritative etc but that expectation that's been driven by your personal life of spotify netflix how you run a search in google those are all driving people's expectations of search and i think that's the big challenge for us as we make that jump from more of a retrieval um, based search into this kind of next generation of search um so so i would say that's the big challenge and that's a very very heavy challenge on technology on content on on user expectation on user understanding the users and what they're looking for and obviously a challenge to more traditional ways of accessing information yeah and i think like one of the things that's interesting what you say is right is if you think about it the the challenge hasn't really changed over the years right we if yeah. you think about you know when we started our careers it was actually the same challenge but in, in if anything the challenge has become harder because we have so much more information now at our disposal and our expectations are so increased because yeah. i think that that's one of the things that we've you know what you what you say very much resonates with me in the past this idea that our search and retrieval systems didn't need to work the way that you used your, you know, the d things you used in daily life. It was fine for it to require training. You know, yeah. I think the the willingness for people to attend trainings in how to use search is uh, has decreased over time because people say, well, it should just work the way all the things that I use in my daily life work. I shouldn't need to be trained. I shouldn't need help. It should work intuitively. And I think the other element, which I think is interesting, is you talk about, you know, we need it in point of need, right? At the point of need, I think that that brings a dual challenge for us because uh, I think in the past potentially people searched in a more contextual way, right? You understood often the print um, publications that accompanied something. You understood where in the context it was found, and you you knew your way around the the topic, even if you didn't know the specifics. You knew how to get around. Whereas I think now we're like, well, this is my problem and where's the answer? And there's an expectation that we answer it there and then. I was based in the US for a while and our number one search term in our, uh, in for this was a tax database, our number one search term was income tax. And you think, well, well what do you want at this point? Right? <laughs> You're searching for income tax, but you know that, 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 that that's pretty much everything we do. So how do you help at that point in time determine what these, you know, what is that person yeah. looking for? For what's relevant for their in their their situation, and I think the expectation is that we are more proactive than than we you know than we were 20 years ago when yeah. you know it was more about well just look it up right like it's it's your your thing F figure it out right. As you talk about these kind of sophisticated AI and the expectations changing and, you know, how do you see that impacting how lawyers and other knowledge professionals change the way they work? I think. What's interesting is trying to make when you're talking about I think I'll pick up on what what you just said, Baz. It's like you know what's the context? How do you understand the context of what someone is looking for, um, and where are they working? So I think traditionally you would, you know, you could train people to go to certain sources, and mm -hmm. and then I think you know one of the challenges originally when we did the, when we all put all the book, same books online was people lost the authority of a book. You knew which book to go. You put it onto one big service 
lots of different results come up and everyone's going, which is the right result? I think the same thing, we, we then had different services of like, go to these different services and they will have the answer. But I think when you start to say, well, I want it delivered at a point of need, whether I'm in a, you know, I'm delivering something in a Word document or I'm in the document management system in, in, in my area, or you are in, um, you know, one of your products, it's like, how do I understand the context of that user? How do I understand what tasks they're doing? And if they're doing a task which involves other services, how do I kind of spider out to those other services and bring in the right information so you create that that journey the person has to take? Um, but I think, you know, for those knowledge workers, they are they are generally trying, you know, they are time intolerant. I think they're also saying, you know, they kind of want those connection points to be where they work. And, in, and, you know, and that is often in the document they work in or in the, you know, where they're saving the documents or in a you know, collaborative space. We've seen the growth of Teams and Zoom and those other areas. So how do we bring that information to them at that point of need? Um, but also to your point was how do you make sure they realize it's relevant? Are there are other options? There are other viewpoints there's, you know, is, is this the right authority? It's not just a random piece of information selected to them at that point in need. So a lot of work, well, to, to do the magic of displaying this where they work, a lot of work has to be done behind the scenes to work out what's the right thing, what's the right context, who they are. And I think that's one of the big challenges to getting it to where people do their daily work. Yeah, and I think adding on to that, right, Alex, I think one of the interesting things will also be, you know, let's look at the wider market and what the, you know, what do those professionals have to deal with in the yeah. in the future, right? And if, if you look at one of the things that's changing um, is, for example, if you look at the kind of um, al alternative billing structures that we're seeing increasingly, right, uh, fixed fee yeah. structures, that puts an enormous pressure on making sure that contextually the information is right, but also efficiency becomes much more important yeah. for us. Whereas, I mean, if you can charge out your research time, obviously the the, the the incentive to minimize the research time is smaller than if you're on a fixed fee basis yeah. where you're looking at, you know, what can we do? And I think that there's an impact to us as a wider market. And how do we, you know, how do you see the broader trends in that market? And how do we, you know, look at what what's going to what those professionals are going to need? And, and I think, you know, the alternative fee structures are the ones that I'm very interested in from because I think we as a, you know, whether it's on the I manage side or on our side on the, you know, on the content side, that has broad implications for how people, you know, use our products and, and, and how we need to develop uh, AI solutions for that market. Yeah, I think I think that's very much some on that side, especially in the alternative fear area, it becomes a lot more about the right resource, right time against mm. process, a mapped process. So suddenly you're not just going to just go away and research this, have a go, I'm sure it'll be fine, you'll find something, we'll talk about it, etc. Or you're gonna research every last, you know, variable or something. I think where you where you're heading to is if you have if you're on those 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 structures, you're going to have to bring in a place a lot of process into knowledge, and on and when you put the process side, you're going to have to put a lot more contextual information. So if I'm doing a task, why can't I be told what information I need to use, what tool I need to use, where, where's my starting point, where's my best practice? And you start to see it become. I'm not saying we're going to get rid of legal research or research. You know, there are still very clear tasks where you're going to have to research it, but they will be within a frame and a guidance frame of saying, this is what we're doing, this is what we've agreed to do. And 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 then, you know, friction points of, you know, we have to go to X service and it's really hard to find and it takes a load of time to find the right things are not going to be as accepted. 
it's going to be very much expected that we can guide you know people like myself people like yourself are going to be able to guide people through the, the information services in a really you know easy way yeah and i think the interesting thing will be to see you know once uh, you know in the grayer areas of law right where where things are are maybe not as clear cut and where yeah. you know there's there's because I, I i very much believe that expertise continues to um be needed in this i yeah. i'm not the, i don't think robo advice is is here anytime soon in the sense of you know i think certain elements of legal research continue to require yeah. um you know deep domain expertise I think the the question there, though, is what, what you know what role will technology play there? Because I, I don't think it's zero sum. I don't think it's one or the other. Yeah. I think also the question is like how are you going to make, you know? I think the, the most interesting thing about you know all, all, the, all the terms people throw around is this idea of the computational power you have now and the ability to go through what previously was unstructured data and make sense of it means that even for those more abstract tasks that lawyers do, I think technology can start playing a role in, um, you know, even if it's just removing 80% of the of the noise, you still have 20% noise left, but at least yeah. it, it helps your research and it, it brings you to that, yeah, the quicker outcomes and, and better law, even if it's complex, even if it's not a, a you know, two-way street, right? even if it's more complex. And a lot, a, lot of, a lot of what we do is, is interesting is that it's not necessarily about answers, like yeah. actually answering it's like okay you know there's this whole thing you know gpt3 happened a while ago and suddenly everyone thought that you know authored content would be written by a computer that had learned every word in the language i don't think it is that i think what we're seeing is more about okay to your point of expertise you're in a law firm there's two thousand lawyers there who don't necessarily know each other they don't know what they work on they've got structures probably like any corporate structure what you can show is what the connections are between what someone did. I worked on a matter that had a similar document that that kind of had, was for a similar client in a similar region. Maybe, and these people worked on it. You should talk to these people. It's not, I'm not, I can't necessarily pull out the answer for your exact legal question on a very complex regulatory issue that's very gray, as you say, but at least I've now connected you to three other people in the organization that you can pick up a telephone to, message, whatever, and start to have that conversation. I'd like to um, kind of segue into the customer a little bit. And, you know, we've had um, several guests come on the podcast and there's different schools of thought. So, you know, when you're thinking about the most important step when starting to work on a new innovation for existing customers, we've had some guests say, well, you have to start with your existing customers and talk to them. And some of them say, well, then you're going to get a faster horse. So actually don't talk to your, do something else. So would love to hear kind of your perspectives uh, on on this uh, topic. Boss, you want to, you want to start? Yeah, sure. I, I think this is a, uh... Yeah, this is the uh, it's the car or the horse uh, discussion. I, I I think it's a it's an age old discussion. Um, I, I'm very much of the belief that you need to understand firstly who you want to sell your product to. Right? Is that your existing customer base? Is it a wider customer base? What do they need? I think mapping that is important. But I think the the key thing as well once you get into this stage is, you know, that I'm a big believer in the beauty of clickable wireframes and contextual design. Right? Looking at how observing people as they work rather than listening to what they say they do. Um, this was a lesson I had very early in my career where I 
was responsible for a, uh, a a portal, and I interviewed lots of customers about what they did when they were researching uh, arbitration. And at a certain point, we observed them, and it turned out that what they were doing in practice and what they told me they were doing were, were very different things. So I think it's always important as you innovate that you you know look at who you want to innovate for, but also that you you observe them at work. And once you start coming with new ideas, you put those in clickable wireframes first, show those to the customer, watch how they interact with it, see if there's things that 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 come out of that, and build your product around that. It's it's fairly cost effective and it allows you to you know develop products of of real value because i think that's sometimes we lose ourselves in the um you know in the features and we forget to look at well what how, you know what's the problem have we solved the problem uh you know what's the what's the next stage and i i i do think that only really by observing your customers do you get to those insights right like i i often say i would have never put a camera on a phone. I, I mean, I'm not that creative. I wouldn't have thought of the idea of putting a camera on a phone. But now that I have a camera on my phone, it's the on my mobile phone, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. So I think, you know, if you observe people's behavior, you'd see, well, hey, they use it for similar things, they need it for similar goals. And so therefore, you know, maybe we could bring this this innovation into their into their life. And I think, yeah, that's the, from my perspective, that's the key thing. So observing your clients, observing how they work, and and making sure you innovate around that very quickly. Great. And Alex, I I know you've uh, worked in a law firm before coming to iManage and have worked kind of in different industries. So I want to just ask you uh, a question about uh, having an innovative culture. And, you know, I think some of the basics we all know, right? Um, you know, there needs to be a tolerance for failure, willingness to experiment, creating a psychologically safe environment. Um, so we know all these things, but why is it still so hard to kind of create that innovative culture to kind of accelerate what you're doing? I think there's a few things in that. I think um, one of the things that I've seen is that organizations to pay for innovation and by pay i mean either hire and build specialist teams or to spend the time training people and building that culture and reinforcing what you say is there's still a lot of you know your daily work that happens you know this isn't being funded we aren't most of our organizations aren't google they don't have a blank canvas they don't come in and say we started here they have a hundred year legacy they have a 50 year legacy and that's where the money comes from. You know, there's a lot, you know, there's all, I, I called it business as usual, BAU. There's a lot of BAU work in any industry. And that work has to continue to be done. And often that gets confused with, you know, the efficiency work that's done to keep those organizations, those parts of the organizations delivering is often mixed with innovation. Or what you end up with doing is building out a separate innovation unit in these organizations. You see it in banking, finance, um, insurance, and so you build a separate unit, but then you then you really annoy the other people. So you have all of these organizational design pieces, and often then it's about a couple of things. One is the context of what's your challenge. You can just you can throw in you can build an incubator like that tomorrow. Loads of law firms are building an incubator, but they don't know why they're doing it. But you have to have a purpose. Are you being disrupted? Do you want to win new business? Do you want to win new clients? What's your purpose behind innovation? Because there's a whole load of different approaches you can take. If you are being disrupted and your market is disappearing overnight, you know, you've been disrupted by an Uber or whatever, you have to challenge fast. And so you might invest a lot of money in it. 
if it's more incremental and actually there's a there's an entire market like for lawyers there's a massive opportunity for law firms just growing their current business customer base and they can do that by taking innovation things like like Baz just talked about like talking to their clients in a more open collaborative way observing what their clients want you know and ultimately you know innovation doesn't have to be the next boom it doesn't have to be the kind of blue ocean innovation you can actually make a massive small incremental changes on it largely by changing a culture like making your lawyers feel safer about talking to clients you know and often you end up with it's someone's role to do this but ultimately i've always believed it's it's all everyone's role to do it you know you are at a barbecue on a saturday and your best friend's a lawyer and you work for a legal publisher I know, I know you probably want to talk about some more fun things, but 20 minutes just on what they do, what they really hate, what really annoys them in their job, suddenly you've probably got more insight than some internal program, which is running some analytics trying to work out what lawyers do. So that kind of curiosity that you bring in that allows people to bring insights into the business is absolutely critical. And that starts to be the culture. If you allow people to be open, ask questions, be curious and be empowered to do it, you'll start to build that network effect. And that network effect allows people to suddenly go, oh, I'm going to talk to A, A talks to B, talks to C, we're going to try something, let's have a chat, let's go and find out a bit more. I think that's the kind of culture side you have to do. And then it's just about a, a level of reward. How do you build some reward into this? You know, everyone, I, we ran a program at my firm which gave lawyers 50 hours of their time, which was billable. And then the law firm, that's quite big because that's how you get paid at the end of the year. We gave 50 hours for them to run a project, which we put a framework around and we helped them with, but they had to run that project. We kind of got a bit of criticism. It's like, oh, lawyers, billable time. And then I went, yeah, but in every other industry, how much time do you have outside of your day job to actually do something and sit there and go, can I do it differently? And if you Absolutely. think about the day job, you might not have that time because you've got your business as usual, your you know performance objectives to do. So it's about carving out that culture, but also carving out time to actually do something. And it's a great uh, professional development opportunity as well, which brings us to our last question. Um, and I know we don't have a lot of time, but definitely want to hear from both of you on advice that you have for our listeners on becoming future ready. So I think, uh, Alex, you just touched on a little bit of how do you use that 50 hours and, you know, that could yeah. be one of the ways you do that. Um, but quickly, maybe one minute each on just some advice that you want our listeners to to really keep in mind as, as they're preparing for the future. I think the key thing is, uh, I think Alex touched on it. I think, uh, curiosity is is actually an underrated thing i think one of the key things you got to be uh, make sure you keep doing is is be very curious around why do people do what they do what would they prefer would they like it better um and i guess with that what's also important and this is more of an internal uh, piece of advice i would give people is when you're in, if you're in a larger corporation trying to explain what innovation looks like is show, don't tell. I think well, that's one of the things sometimes you uh, people miss out is that they tell, you know, fantastic stories about what their innovation could do. But sometimes showing it, it's back to my hobby horse of clickable wireframes, showing people what's possible. I think that makes a, you know, that, that that's often a very effective way of getting your, your message across. Yeah, I, I I do a couple of things. One is be low low definition about your about your um, showing things. So oh, don't yeah, try to over perfect absolutely. things. Draw it. A pencil drawing is as good as a polished. Uh, Sometimes po a polished even better, wireframe. I find. 
low fidelity uh, sometimes works better because yeah. then people don't feel like you've put so much effort into it so yeah. they're more likely to criticize it whereas if it looks perfect they're like yeah. oh they must have put a lot of work into it oh i want you know i don't want to hurt their feelings kind of thing and my, my my other my other one is just like you know ignore the buzzwords there's a lot of buzzwords that fly around like ai blockchain smart contracts name the next thing that everyone's going to be excited about but ultimately a lot of things stay the same okay so it's about to me it's a couple of things one be willing to pull things to pieces you don't have to code to understand how a system is built a structure is built you know how you put a database next to a front end next to a search so be be willing to pull things to pieces and question things and understand technology not because you can code it but understand technology about what the intent is how it's structured what comes together and then the final one, and it's actually a service design um, technique, which is called like the five whys. And it's just like be the kid in the back of the car who, with their dad just going, why, 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 why? Because the more you dig into these problems, the more you ask the question why, the more you'll get past buzzwords and status and hierarchy, et cetera, because you end up talking about why are you doing it? Why is the customer doing this? And if you don't know, if you get to like one why and you can't answer the second one, you probably need to go and do some research, you know, meet some people, go and go and talk to your users. Um, so kind of, you know, that that kind of like you don't have to be a coder, you don't have to be a blockchainer, you don't have to be into crypto to understand the future because a lot of it's just about pulling to pieces what you're trying to do. Very practical advice from both of you. Thank you so much, uh, Alex and Vaz. Thanks again for joining us today, and we look forward to having you back again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Linda. Thank you for listening to the Are You Future Ready podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode.